stop when I finish mine. <laughs> Fine. Uh, good evening. Thank you for joining us this evening. If you take your Bibles, please, join me in the book of John, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We'll stay primarily here. message is entitled Revealing Christ. Revealing Christ. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We'll begin by reading from verse 25 through to 31. John 1. 25 reads, And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptize thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptising. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come, baptizing with water." Here, obviously, we have John's account of, uh, this is John the disciple's account of John the Baptist baptising Christ. And they're asking him from the beginning of the passage we read, from verse 25, they're asking him of authority. Whose authority? What authority are you baptising in? Who said you can baptise? But John says it's not about that. It's not about who said, who allowed. That, that's not the issue. He said, the issue is I'm the forerunner for one that is far greater. This John the Baptist He's not the founder of the Baptist church, as some people incorrectly say. This man was a Jew. He claimed no greatness for himself, but he baptised repentance. He baptised Jews back to Judaism. Repentance towards God. Repentance from individuals 
who, as, who recognized that as individuals and as a nation, they as a nation had moved away from God. And they needed to repent of that. And they recognized that they'd pushed away from God and they needed to prepare to meet God as well because there was a Messiah coming. So with that introduction to what is taking place in this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll look at our message together. Lord, I ask that you bless our time in your word. Guide our thoughts and please give clarity of speech and understanding, Lord, of your scriptures. We pray that you would bless every aspect of this service, the testimonies to come, and the preaching of your word now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. John had been told that there would be one who would come during his ministry, who he was going to be the forerunner to. And there'd be something different about his baptism. And he testifies of that in this passage uh, from verse uh, 32 onwards. Uh, Verse 32 and verse 33 say, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. It doesn't say a dove landed on him. It said the spirit descended like a dove. Uh, Doves land vertically. So we imagine the Holy Spirit came vertically down upon Christ. But no bird landed on him. And it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, unto whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remain on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. This is John's account of what he'd been told would take place, that how he would recognize the Lamb of God, how he would recognize the one that he was forerunner to. This would be the one that was coming. If you keep your place in John and just turn over back to uh, Mark chapter 1, we see there another account. See, the Gospel of John gives us the account uh, from with John speaking in hindsight, here we see it taking place as Mark records it. Mark chapter 1, and we pick it up in verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water... He saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Mark records it from the happening, whereas John records it from the the testimony of John the Baptist in, in hindsight. 
And what we see here clearly is the Trinity. God the Father speaking from heaven, acknowledging his Son with the Holy Spirit that has just descended upon him. We see here the, the, um, the Trinity displayed together. But this account uh, gives us the, the literal coming of the Holy Spirit upon Christ. If you go back to our main passage though, John chapter 1, I just want to bring out two uh, main things that we hear, that we see in in this uh, passage. Two main thoughts before the baptismal uh, service. John had spent the previous day telling them who he was not. He'd been interrogated, who who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the Christ? Are you that prophet? Which is a reference to a a verse from Moses' day that the Jews incorrectly thought would be someone other than the Messiah. That passage is actually talking about the Christ. And uh, so they ask him twice, are you the Christ really? Uh, Because of their misunderstanding of a a passage in Deuteronomy. Who are you? That was yesterday in our text. Today, if we pick it up again in verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. First thing we note here is John notes Christ's purpose. Today, he has the privilege of pointing out not who he's not, but this is the Lamb of God. This is this man coming towards us. He's the Lamb of God. That title, Lamb of God, has two messages to his Jewish hearers of that day. One, this man was the fulfillment of the Lamb in the Passover sacrifice. And two, this man was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53 where it says that the Messiah would go as a lamb to the slaughter. John says here in verse 29 that this is he who Isaiah prophesied. This is who we picture in in the Passover uh, celebration. This is the Lamb of God. Now, he's revealing Christ. He's revealing Christ. This is the beginning of Christ's ministry. As it says there in verse 32 and 33, I knew him not. We haven't met yet. But this is the Lamb of God coming towards us. He didn't have the New Testament. This is the beginning of Christ's ministry. And yet he recognised the Christ. Why? Because he's the last prophet, essentially. He's revealing Christ to a people who are about to spend three years amazed at what this man does and confused as to who he is. But right at the beginning, here he is saying, This is the Lamb of God. This is your Messiah. 
I'm revealing Christ to you now. But it's the end of that verse 29 that is even more significant. See, we have, in hindsight, the Scriptures to tell us all of why Christ came. But John, not knowing what would transpire following this account, he, he by faith and by understanding of the Scriptures, says, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This was Christ's purpose, to take away the sin of the world. He was not coming to lead a cultural revolution. He was not coming to do good deeds. He was not coming expressly to heal the sick. He did good things. He did heal people. He was coming to take away the sin of the world. And John makes this statement knowing nothing of what was going to take place. Incredible. Knowing only what was in the prophecy of the Messiah. That's all he had to go on. This is what the Messiah will do. He will take away the sins of the world. See, the Jews had what is our Old Testament. They had had it compiled and completed for 600 years. There's no post-event writing of fake prophecies. The Jews had had the Old Testament in their Torah, in their prophets. They had had that compiled for over 600 years. And John knew his scriptures, obviously. And he declares to them all, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God. Follow Him. I'm revealing Him to you. Follow Him. Don't worry about who I am. He will deal with your sin. He will take away your sin. That's what He was revealing. The question for you and I is, He has dealt with your sin. But have you accepted that payment for yourself? He did that for you. He's taken away your sin. But have you accepted that? Or do you remain in your sins? Are you wrestling with guilt? Are you wrestling with sin? Are you wrestling and wondering about it all? Or have you, as we would say, been saved from your sins. Go over to 1 Corinthians. Keep your place in John. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, how can I be saved from my sin? As we put it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's let the Bible answer that question. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, that, my friend, is the Gospel. The death the burial and the resurrection. 
Verse 2 tells us, By which ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I have preached unto you. See, this is what, this is how someone can be saved from their sins. Through belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It has nothing to do with baptism, has nothing to do with church attendance. It's this, dealing with our sin, God's way. Not our way, not man's way. This is what the Bible says. The question for you is, have you done it the way the Bible says? Are you doing it the way man has invented? Are you doing it some other way you've come up with? Or someone has told you to do it some other way? See, in a moment, we'll baptise four people. Provided nerves don't take over, of course. And... uh, All baptism does is picture the gospel. See, it says here in verse uh, verse 4 that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Or sorry, verse 3 says he died. Verse 4 says that he was buried and that he rose again. That's what the baptism pictures. As the person goes into the water, it pictures death suspended there in the water pictures the burial. And if I remember to bring them back up after quoting Psalm 119, back into the atmosphere pictures resurrection. I uh, was teasing the, the two teenagers that hopefully I won't get stuck on one of the, uh, the verses as I'm quoting it in my mind. That's the, for those that don't know, that's the longest chapter in the Bible. I, I won't be doing that, it's okay. But that's what baptism is for. It has no bearing on someone's salvation. We wouldn't be doing this if they weren't already saved. It, a, a saved person going into here is just identifying with what Christ has done. The death, the burial and the resurrection. They're saying, I'm with him. What he's done for me, I identify and I'm willing to do it publicly. A saved person going into there, that's what they're doing. An unsaved person going into there, the water does nothing. It might not even clean them. (laughs) We did clean it. It's okay. But... It's just regular tap water. There's nothing special about that water. The significance is the willingness to say, I'm with him. I have received Christ and I want to publicly identify with his death, burial and resurrection. John was revealing Christ to them and he notes Christ's purpose here to take away sin. Not through baptism, but through his death, burial and resurrection. And secondly, we note from verse 35 onwards, back in our text, John chapter 1, secondly we note John's men follow Christ. See, John's purpose was not to draw people to himself. His 
purpose was to point people to Christ. He was preparing them as a nation to receive the Messiah who would come. He'd been told that he was the forerunner for the Messiah. Therefore, during his ministry, at some point, the Messiah would arrive. And when that came, he wasn't keeping people to himself. He was openly saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. And here we have him not just pointing the crowds, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the the religious leaders, Here is your Messiah. He has his followers, his men. And he points them to Christ as well. Look with me in verse 35. And again, the next day after, so this is now the third day in our passage, John stood and two of his disciples and looking unto Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speaking and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, Where dwellest thou? Rabbi, it says there, means master. Verse 39. He saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now it's assumed that the other is the writer, John, not to be confused with John. Um, A number of times when John refers to things that revolve around his happenings, John the disciple this is, he just refers to himself anonymously. And so it is assumed that likewise he's doing that here. So these two disciples of John the Baptist, John and Andrew, Here, on this third day, John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God. And John means it. He's saying, really, I am nobody and I'm not drawing people to myself. That one that I said is the Lamb of God, I'm not even worthy to touch his shoe latchet. And I'm going to step into the background, follow Christ. I'm all about revealing Christ. And Christian, these men had been following John the Baptist and now they've turned and they've begun to follow Christ. Christian, what are you following? You might have been saved, your sin has been dealt with, but what are you following? Are you actually still following Christ? Or are you following something else? Other things? Money? Entertainment? Pastimes? Pleasures? What are you following, Christian? Even good things that are not Christ should not be followed in place of Christ. So-called good things. See, these two disciples, though they aren't named at the beginning, we work out who they are. 
but they spend the day with Christ. And as we read in verse 40 and 41, it gives us the outcome of that. See, they were used to spending time around a good man, John the Baptist. They were used to his interactions with the religious leaders. They were used to these ones. And yet, spending time with the religious leaders and John the Baptist, still something stood out in Christ as well, above and beyond, that during that day, something and many things potentially stood out to the point that it set Christ apart. Because it tells us in verse 41 that after it acknowledges in the previous verse who, who this one is, Andrew, it says, he first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. Something stood out above and beyond in that one day with Christ that already Andrew could say, where's my brother? I've got to find my brother. Where's Peter? What's he up to? And went and found him and said, I have found the Messiah, come and see. John the Baptist's ministry was pointing, was about revealing Christ. And already... We have Andrew acknowledging, following, spending the day with him and now he acknowledges this is the Messiah. Yes, this is the Lamb of God. That one designated to take your sin and my sin and deal with it. He's worthy to do that, but you need to accept that. I need to accept it personally. That's what they saw a man that was worthy, a man that by faith would, in our day, by faith did. They saw that he was the Messiah, the Lamb of God, and they saw that he was one worth following because he goes and gets his brother, brings Peter who becomes the great disciple and goes on to become perhaps even the better apostle. Peter, Simon Peter. John is there as well. And already there's three followers of Christ just from this revealing of Christ there at the baptism. The point is this. Christ is worth following. And John the Baptist was saying, You've enjoyed following me around in the desert for some reason. You've been listening to me. But there's one greater. Follow him now that he's revealed himself. And Christ is worth following. But the question is, are we following? Are you following him? If you haven't accepted his payment for your sin. You can. He's paid for your sin. It's a matter of choosing to accept it. And though you, Christian, have accepted that, 
You say, yeah, I, I am. I'm saved. I've received the gospel. Yet, are you actually following Christ? He's worth following. But sometimes, back off it. We're following all sorts of other things. Baptism identifies you as a follower of Christ. Putting your hand up saying, I identify with the death, burial and resurrection. It has no bearing on my salvation, but it's just a point in time that I want to put my hand up and say, I identify with this. And these four are going to do that shortly. That will be a special time in their walk with the Lord, in their relationship with God. But it is a reminder to each of us whether we have or haven't been baptised, whether we have or haven't been saved, it is a reminder to all of us, am I following the Lamb of God? Am I following Christ? Because he's worth following. He will take away your sins. And you can follow him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. I ask, Lord, that you would bless the remainder of the service. I pray, Lord, as we hear these testimonies and witness the baptism, that, Lord, this picture of what you did on the cross for us would be evident and that you'd be glorified in each of these people's lives. Pray that you'd bless the remainder of the service. And Lord, I pray that if any here know not Christ as Saviour, Lord, even this night, they would call upon him for salvation. Pray, Lord, for those of us that have been saved and yet would honestly say we're not following Christ as we ought. Lord, I pray that even this night would be confronting to us We'd be challenged about our need to follow Christ as we ought. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.